Dear friends in Christ, if anyone was asked, where is God? What kind of answer do you think people might give to them? You know, it's interesting to take really note of those responses that come from people of various backgrounds, perhaps various faith backgrounds. And even within Christianity, there may be different types of responses. Some people might say, well, I don't think God is anywhere near here. Some might answer in the words of that Bette Midler song that's now 30 years old. You know, God is watching us from a distance. I wonder how many people would be surprised if, you know, they were told that God was right over their shoulder. We know we can't put out a, a GPS location and say, well, God is here or he's here. We know that in times like this, as we battle a pandemic virus, that many people are wondering if God is anywhere around. They might think that if he was, then all these things wouldn't be happening. Well, our focus for today is envisioning God's enveloping presence. And as we consider Rule 7 of our 10-part series called the Red Sea Rules, we can develop an understanding of who God is and where he is in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 41 as he assures us, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. He's a God who says we don't have to go looking for him. Instead, he assures us that he's right there for us at all times. We know that little children, even before they're at the age where they can read in the Christian families and schools and that, they love to sing a song called, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. And we know that in that song, the song never names who he is, right? But if you ask any child, they'll say, it's God. Or it's Jesus who has it in his hands. Well, people don't always look at it that way, though. We're not sheltered from so much trouble and pain in the world. We know that. And we also know we don't have to look far, really, from ourselves to find it either. There are some people in the world who say, well, sometimes it seems as if nobody has the world in his hands. Well, in Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 22, the Apostle Paul finds himself in Athens. And as he goes there, there are people who obviously are not believers in Christ. And Paul ends up saying to them these particular words. He stood up at the the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Well, those who had considered themselves intellectuals in that particular city, they loved to debate, and they often gathered in a place that we would call today the public square. Then in Athens, it was known as the Areopagus. And Paul, who was one who had never missed an opportunity, he goes on to seize that moment to present his case for the God who he worshipped and served. The Athenians, they worshipped many gods. But they didn't know much about this God. They had constructed many altars to various gods, 
But Paul noticed one that had that inscription that said, to an unknown God. Paul viewed that altar as a sign of a human need to worship God, the true God. And he said, in effect, to those who were gathered, well, this altar here, it really shows that you've got a desire and a need to worship, but you don't know who to worship. And he proceeds to tell them about the God of heaven and earth, the one who had made the world and everything and everyone in it. And he even quoted one of their own poets later on saying, in him we live and move and have our being. Well, the true and known God, he's the one who gives life and breath and all things. And it's correct, as the apostle explains, that it's through this known and revealed God that we live, we move, and we have our being. In saying this, Paul claimed this not only for his own life, but also for the lives of the Athenians who were also literally in God's hands. In him we live and move and have our being. That's just another way of saying he's got the whole world in his hands. But it's not like we can only go back into history to just recent times. We know that God has always been there for his people. He's shown that in many ways, and often he needs to remind them of what he has done for them. Even being with the the first couple on earth, God is the one who had made for Adam and Eve those pieces of clothing after they had fallen into sin and were ashamed. He's always taking care of us. Not only would the Lord rescue his people from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt, but he also provided for their daily needs as they would travel through that wilderness 40 years to get into the promised land. He was present as the Israelites would face enemies and defeat them, and even sometimes with God being the only one who would fight against the enemy, as one time he sends an angel to kill 185,000 of the enemy in one night. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he would be present to take care of a miraculous feeding of the 5,000 on a hillside one day. And God, he would speak his voice at the baptism and at the transfiguration of our Lord, saying, this is my son. With him I am well pleased. There are many places in Scripture that speak about the presence of God, of his presence in the lives of his people. And there are several Psalms, too, in there, those scriptures that speak about him surrounding his people with his love and, when needed, also his protection. Psalm 27, in particular, reminds me of just that. Beginning at verse 4, it says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Actually, the first six verses of this psalm are a strong statement of confidence in God. And the second section is equally a strong petition for help in times of trouble. If you go on to read verses 7 through 13 there. There's nothing strange about beginning with a prayer of thanksgiving for God's favor, and then following in grateful awareness with 
prayers of petition, of those things that we need. Likewise, there's nothing strange with beginning by recalling one's confidence in God, no matter what the situation is, and then proceeding to ask God for deliverance from a new threat. This particular psalm there is for any person who's under threat or perhaps attacked by hostile forces of any type of force, of any kind, to increase our awareness of the reliability of God. And in that awareness, we know that we can ask God for help in yet another crisis when that comes before us because we're confident that God will hear our cry and he'll respond as he always has. It's the awareness of the constant presence of God, which is the constant thrust and really the purpose of this psalm. The psalm starts out in verse 1 saying this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. In whom shall I be afraid? Light is a natural symbol for almost anything that's positive. And as light automatically, by its very nature, dispels darkness, we know that so does God, by his very presence, dispel fear. He's the answer to fear. And then down in verse 4, the psalmist says, One thing I ask of the Lord. It's not two things, or three things, or ten things. That's really an amazing statement there that he makes. The psalmist has boiled down all his wants and his needs into one thing. And when he has this one thing, he has everything. And what is it? He says it's to dwell in the house of the Lord. And that doesn't mean one location, like a a worship setting where we're here together in what we would say is God's house. The Lord's presence is meant. It symbolizes a picture of living in God's temple. And the psalmist's one desire, after all the world offers that have been tried and have found, been found lacking, it's the awareness of the divine presence. All the other concerns in his life are secondary. He stakes his life completely on God, specifically in the awareness of God's presence here and now. And then to say, all the days of my life, Well, to the Jew, that would typically mean the present earthly life. And for Christians, we'd have no trouble including that, but we know that we would extend that to eternal life because of Christ. And then to gaze on the Lord's beauty, he says. Two consequences really flow from this presence. The first is to behold, to enjoy, to bask in, and even to delight in the extraordinary and never-ending beauty of God. And again, to the Jew, this would refer to this life only. But for the Christian, we know that it extends to eternity. Secondly, he says, to seek him in his temple. And the sense here of seeking guidance from the Lord is similar in that day to seeking the guidance of a priest who would be in the temple there. Here and now, God's presence, it's really got practical ramifications for the psalmist in that he's not only aware of it, of God's presence, but he seeks it. And the word Lord, it's not just some theological title that 
we assign to him. It's a name. One of several names that we have for this loving presence who has taken up his residence in the temple of each person. Each person who believes in him. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. That was the focus, obviously, of Martin Luther during the Reformation time. That it wasn't us. It was Christ and what he did for us. The Lord cares how we live. And he knows that we cannot live without him. And so he comes. He sits and he stays with us. He abides. And he even laughs with and sometimes even at us too, right? We're his children. He can do that. He cries and grieves with us. He simply is always there, there for us. All of the other things on our agenda, even the petitions that we offer on behalf of others, they really pale by comparison to his presence. Like the psalmist, I can say the Lord is my light and my salvation. And I know you can also. And all those who believe in him. And so the worst thing The only really bad thing that could happen would be God's absence compared to his presence. Jesus himself faced that on the cross of Calvary when he was forsaken by his Father. It was not only at the last moment of his life, it was the worst moment. He experienced it for us in order to let us know that without God's presence, there is no life. There's no point to life. There's no desire to live life. Awareness of the Lord's presence dispels fear. There's no earthly or heavenly power or even any combination of those things which are stronger than God. Being aware of the presence of God, too, is a gift. It's not some kind of right that we earned. Because it's a constant gift, it must be constantly asked for never taken for granted. Waiting for the Lord is to make his presence and power felt. And in doing so, that helps us to continually surrender to his will because we know that we're not doing things ourselves, we're doing it for him. Think of Paul in Galatians 2.20. He says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And those are things that we can say in the same way. God is present everywhere. In fact, there would be no word where if God were not present. However, we're not always aware of his presence automatically or undeniably. You know, sometimes we have to concentrate. We have to put our mind on pause with everything that's going on and look more deeply into what we're looking at. That's just the way it is. We might wonder at times why God has acted, or he allowed something to happen the way he did. But we'll probably never know, at least this side of eternity. But there are some things that we're blessed in knowing 
some things we know that he has affect in our lives. When it comes to the end of the day, it really is the awareness of the continued presence of God that matters. And when we pray all of those petitions, those things we ask for, the things we pray throughout our lives, it really boils down to the awareness of him being there for us and him being with us. So long as we remain aware of God's presence in our hearts, our lives, and our being, we can say and sing, it is well with my soul. We can look back on our lives and in our prayers and realize that all those troubles and hardships that we were going through, all the doubts and the wrong turns we made in life at times, well, they taught us something very valuable. Through it all, we learned not only about the awareness of God's presence, but also that God became personal to us. He's not only known as the Lord, he is our Lord. And that's all the more reason to give him thanks and praise as he walks with us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. Amen.